Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. It's well with my soul. I imagine if that song would have been around when Peter wrote his letters, he probably would have been singing that too in the midst of persecution and suffering. Well, we finished up First Peter last week, and after much prayer. God told me to keep on going and share the rest of the story. So we're going to be in Second Peter this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. And in this verse, this is kind of like a continuation of what Peter was saying in the first letter of First Peter. But today, this is a message that I would imagine that most coaches would give their players at halftime or maybe the, the Monday practice after winning or losing a game. This is Peter encouraging you and I to grow in your faith, to know your faith. Grow in your faith, to know your faith. Believe it or not, there are schools of thought. There are cultural, I can't call them truths, but cultural beliefs that seek to make Jesus into something that he is not, that he is not the Jesus of the Bible. And there has never been a greater attack today on God's word and God's people, but it is so subtle. And so as we look at this today, Peter had written to comfort the encourage the believers who were suffering and being persecuted. They were being attacked from outside visible enemies. That's what we found in all of 1 Peter. So now, only a year later, when this Peter is writing this. Peter wrote this second letter to warn the church of a much more sinister enemy. A much more sinister enemy. What enemy is that? It is the enemy from within. Invisible enemies of complacency, of false security, and heresy. And what we saw is they were beginning to lead the church to a watered-down faith that was more acceptable to the culture they were in, but it was not a faith of conviction. It was not a faith of sin and needing for forgiveness. It was not a faith of personal ownership and sharing the gospel and a command to do that. It was a bland, kind of like when you get those mashed potatoes at a restaurant and they hadn't put any salt or pepper in it and maybe even a little bit of butter if you're lucky and you put it in your mouth and you're like, oh, you know, you just, there's no taste to it. That is what Christianity is to many people today. But there was a a saying, a man named George Santayana, who was a philosopher. Back in 1905, he wrote in his book, The Life of Reason, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. I wish I would have, have known that. That those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. If I could go back and I could go back to those uh, middle school and high school classes on world history and United States history and civics, I probably would have paid more attention because what I am learning today is what many of you have already known. Yes, this day is crazy. The government's crazy. And we can all sit around and talk about that and try to solve this world's problems. But it's always been crazy. We're not learning from our mistakes As a nation, we're not learning from our mistakes as a world. And unfortunately, many times those in the church are not learning from their mistakes as well. So as we move into our scriptures today, the first thing before we read them, I want to tell you this, is that 
A real faith is a growing faith. A real faith is a growing faith. You see, the spiritual growth is facilitated by honoring God's greatest commandment. And that's found in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. And I'll give you the cliff notes of that. That is the where God said, love the Lord, or Jesus said, love the Lord your heart with all your soul and all your strength. And the second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, just as the church had to endure persecution and threats within the church, here we are today. Peter's second letter is just as relevant and just as necessary as today. Here we see, as we look in our scriptures, first point would be all believers have a precious faith. All believers have a precious faith. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. And if you don't have one, there's a, pew, a Bible in the pew in front of you. Or if you have the version app, you can follow along on the events tab. You'll see the points and everything you see on the screen as well. But let's read God's Word together this morning. The first two verses, it says, Greetings from Peter. This letter is from Simon Peter a slave, an apostle of Jesus Christ. There was a lot there. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Christ, and I am writing to you who share the same precious faith that we have. This faith was given to you because of the justice and the fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. As we read that, we see that Peter's introduction, he's being very clear from the, the, the start. Look again at your scriptures when he says that he is a servant and apostle. What he's doing there as a Jewish writer, he is letting people know when they read it what his qualifications are. And isn't it amazing as we would think if it were us, we would probably say, oh, by the way, I am an apostle Meaning, I have seen Jesus, I have been with Jesus, I have denied Jesus, and I have been restored by Jesus. I am the apostle, I am one of the twelve, I am the main ringleader, oh, look at me. That's what many would do, but not Peter. He says, look, first and foremost, I am just like you. I am a servant of Jesus Christ. It's not about... My position, it's not about where I've been, it's not about what I have done or not done. I am a servant for Christ, and you, my friend, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are just like Peter, you are called to be a servant of Christ. He's writing to all believers who have accepted God's life-changing grace through Jesus. You see, that... That statement right there of him saying that he is a, a slave, a servant of Jesus, do you realize that that statement that was written in 67 A.D. still resonates with you here and I here in Homeland Park Baptist Church today in 2023? We are servants of Christ. And Peter says this faith was precious because it was given to us 
out of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ. What does he mean by that? What it means is God is playing by his own rules. I put in the the note there, Hebrews 9.22. It's a very popular passage. It says, For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So when it says, through Jesus Christ, by his justice and fairness, that means that God played by his own rules. He could have just said, well, you know, wow, man, I I really didn't see this one coming. I mean, I I knew that Adam and Eve were going to fall, and I knew that things were going to get bad, but but boy, these, these people that I created, that I love so much, there's a wall between us. I can't, I can't get to them because my, my holiness won't allow me to be with my people. I tell you what, I'm just going to do a do-over. We'll start from scratch. What kind of God would he be if he didn't keep his word? What kind of God if he didn't play by his own rules? He knew that there was a divide. He knew that there was a need for the redemption of his people, just as it was for the people of Israel to get out of Egypt and be His chosen people, there is a a plan for you, my friend, to be redeemed, to be saved, to be rescued from sin and the bonds of death. And it's through Jesus Christ. And God didn't give you a pass or a mulligan or a do-over. He sent you His Son, Jesus Christ, because He is fair in His judgment. Then He says, you who share the same... Precious faith. Folks, faith in Jesus Christ is the common denominator here, folks. It's what we rally behind. It is what we should be unified behind here. It's our rally cry. You see, Peter is praying for God to grow their precious faith. Did you know that if you have faith in Jesus Christ, it is a precious commodity that not everybody else has? Peter knows that the road ahead of him is going to be rough. Peter knows that the road ahead of him and for his believers, his friends, are going to be rough. And so just like a coach inspiring their leadership to the team, Peter is saying, it's time to grow your precious faith now. Look, we've got one more half, guys, in this football game. Whatever happened in the first two quarters doesn't matter. Now we're going to go in the last two, and you need to give it your all. You need to grow. You need to go. You need to execute. You need to be present, and you need to push past your tiredness and your laziness. Push past what your body and your mind says when it says it wants you to stop. Push by that and keep going. That is what a coach would tell a football team, but that is what Peter is telling you and me as a believer, or you and I as a believer of Christ. The more your faith grows, more of God's grace and peace you will experience. Think about it this way. Some of you know what it's like to be in blessings. Marriages end. New families are started when people get remarried. And so you are forced together. Often the children are forced together by marriage. But you know what? It's not automatic, is it? But over time, you learn to love one another through time. Through putting forth some effort on your part, you learn to love somebody. And you learn to grow in your relationship. You learn to share experiences Folks, why do we not think that it takes 
just the same effort to grow in our walk with the Lord. Right now, you did put some effort in. You got together, you, you put on some clothes, you cleaned up a little bit, and you came to church. That shows effort, my friends, and I am grateful for it. Your neighbors are grateful for it. Your family is grateful for it. But most of all, I want you to know it's not about saying, oh, look at me, I'm a church. God is grateful that you put forth the effort. And those of you know that most of the things that mean most to us are the things that we put effort in to get them. You see, to receive God's abundant grace and peace, you must make an effort to grow in your faith. If you have no effort or put in no effort, if you have no drive to grow your relationship with the Lord, if the only effort you put in is to be in here for a few minutes on a Sunday and the rest of the week live like you want to for yourself, that's a little effort, but it's not going to take you a long way. You see, you need to grow your precious faith, and that means to grow your precious faith, you need to know God. Meaning you have to have a relationship with Him. Then you have to not only know God. There's a lot of people say, no, oh, I believe in God. But you wouldn't follow Him to the grocery store, let alone to the cross. You've got to know God. You've got to follow God. And then you have to eat God's Word. Donna normally checks my slides. She goes, did you make a typo there? No, I'm not asking you to pull your Bible pages out and start consuming them. Uh, no, that's not what this means. I, I put a, a sermon, or not a sermon, but a scripture reference, Jeremiah fifteen sixteen, that that kind of talks about this. But what that means is to eat God's Word means to internalize it, to make it a part of you, not just make something you can recite off and get your badge of completion and move on. Make it a part of your life. Bring it into your life. Consume it. Let it be a part of your life. So know God, follow God, eat God's Word, and obey God's Word. Which means to be faithful. Why do we need to internalize God's Word? If you've ever been a part of a group, maybe in your job, maybe in a profession, maybe in like in a volunteering situation like with firefighters, police, first responders, army, and even in just, just different things where ball teams... The reason you practice, the reason you train, it's called muscle memory. It's called forging neural pathways in your brain. That's pretty smart, isn't it? Forging neural pathways in your brain. So when you start thinking about something, you're making the right decisions rather than the wrong decisions. So you train. You train so that when, boom, you're in the thick of it, you just act. Just like when you tell the football players, look, know your plays, know your blocks, know your gaps, know your runs, know your guy, know what you're looking for. It's not like you're getting out there, okay, hold on a minute, quarterback, let me get my, hold on, let me get my book out. Am I supposed to go there or am I supposed to, no, it's just, boom, you execute. And so many times we're like, okay, God, I got you, hold on a minute, let me look. Oh, I'm sorry, God, the last time I heard anything was Sunday, and it, I know it's Thursday, but it's in here somewhere. Where is that? And before you know it, you're knocked on your backside because you have not internalized God's Word and made the effort to grow in it. Look, I, I am so overwhelmed, and I am so blessed to know that you are here to hear me speak God's Word to you. And it is not me, I promise you. It is God. I'm not smart enough to say the things I'm, I say. It is God alone. But here's the thing. If this is all you're getting all week, 
Oh, my heart breaks for you. You see, God has given you everything you need to grow your faith. You don't need a preacher to help grow your faith. Yes, as a good coach, I could come along and I could push you. I could give you some plays. I could let you think about this. And I can, I can do whatever God calls me to do to help you come alongside of you and help you. But at the end of the day, you've got to make the play. You've got to make the effort. And God has given you everything you need to grow in your faith. How cruel would it be for God to tell you to love Him but not give you the tools to do it with? Look at verses 3 and 4. By His divine power, underline His, by His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a good, godly life. Oh, preacher, you just don't know what what I'm being faced with, you don't know about my health, you don't know what I've done, you don't know. Look, I have got, if you need some more excuses, i got a closet of them myself. But what this says here, that God has given everything we need to live a godly life. So if you are not living a godly life, it is not God's fault. He's given you everything you need. He says, we have received all of this coming to know Him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. I'll never forget, a long time ago, a buddy of mine, we were in a, a college band and we would go and we would play in different churches. He played drums, I played bass. And so we were following this group. Some of you older folks remember a group called Truth. They had a live band that went with them. And so uh, we always had the dream one day, we were gonna, man, we were going to make it in the music industry. We were going to move to Nashville. We were going to play in bands, and, and Truth was one of them we wanted to play in. So we had actually opened up for them. We got to know some of them. So we graduated. Needless to say, the bus never waited on us. The bus passes by. But I'll never forget, they knew him, my friend. And so one night they were at some church, I don't know where, somewhere close, but the drummer got sick. So... They're about to start the show. The guitar player who knew Jamie comes out and says, Hey, you, come back here. We need you to play tonight. And he played the whole concert, note for note. When I think about that, that's, that was a dream of his. And I rejoice with him that he got to do that. But how much more special is God saying, You, I call you to follow me. Just as Jesus looked into the eyes of these fishermen and this tax collector and these people that just were going about their life and they said, You come follow me. Oh, we can get behind that. We say, We understand that God calls the, the disciples, but he has called you. That's what this says here. Verse 4 says, And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are promises that enable you to share His divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Again, I cannot say this enough. By His divine power. Folks, everything we need to live a godly life has been given to us by God. It is not our religious works. It is not our good works that make us Holy, in spite of our failures, in spite of our shortcomings, and in spite of our unworthiness, His faithfulness helps to make our faith precious. Look, if you have faith in yourself, it's good to have a good self-esteem, don't get me wrong, but when you put yourself 
on the altar of your life, then you become a god and you become an idol and you are worshiping yourself, your wants, and your ways. And if you are consumed with yourself, you are living your life by your own power. But if you put God first, you are living by his power. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if you are one of those self-sufficient, self-made, I don't need anybody, I don't need God to get along, my friend, you're just digging yourself a deeper hole. Spiritual growth is God's gift, and it's our responsibility. (laughs) Once upon a time, there was a mechanic who was excited about his new job at this prestigious auto shop in town. So, however, there was a twist to this job. John was required, as in many shops, you're required to bring your own tools. So he was eager to impress his bosses and his co-workers. So he arrived the first day with his great set of Fisher-Price children's tools that his parents had given him as a child. They were so cute. But as he attempted to fix the customer's cars with these miniature wrenches and screwdrivers, it became apparent very quickly that they were not going to do the job. The other mechanics couldn't help but laugh at him. And no one could take him seriously. And eventually, the mechanic realized his mistake was he never upgraded to the real tools, proving that you cannot rely on tools you received as a child to do the work of an adult. Do you know where this is going? Can you feel where this is going? Do you, do you smell what I'm cooking, as a rock would say? Look, hey, you have a youth group experience. Praise the Lord. You throw a stick in the fire and you tell everybody why God loves you and you love everybody else. You have a VBS experience. You have, you have some type of experience with the Lord, and that is amazing. But if you never grow in your faith and you never access the tools that God has given you, you are trying to live an adult life with tools you used as a child. The time to grow in your faith and your understanding of the Lord is today because I'm telling you what, there is a wave that is about to blow all of us over. Some believers pray a prayer, accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord, and that's as far as it goes. But if that is you, God has given you every tool you will need to grow. But if you refuse to put in the effort because of other things being more important to you, you will reap. The consequences of that. The baby tools you have today will not be equipped for you. You will not be equipped with the baby tools you have today if you refuse to grow in your faith. The time to grow in your faith is now. You see, stop setting yourself up for moral failure by not pursuing the spiritual growth of your faith. You say, oh, I don't know why I just keep falling into this rut, this sin. All of these things, I just can't break free from it. Are you developing your faith? Are you reading Scripture? Are you spending time with the Lord? Are you putting in the effort to break free from whatever that is you can't break free from? Look, this is not a message to say you have all the power to do it yourself, but it is a message to say at least quit playing the victim and have enough character to say, God, I'm going to pursue you And I'm going to put in the effort to grow. I don't know what's going to happen, but you said you've given me the tools. So I'm putting your word in action. So grow me in my faith. And you know what? He will. But why didn't God just give me all the things I need to grow at once? 
Number one, you couldn't handle it. I mean, think about this. Why do we have little league sports? Some of our our, our guys here, they, they play in little leagues. Well, do they call it little league anymore? Now it's travel ball and all these letters that you form together to make some kind of A-U-R-P, whatever. I know. A-A-R-P. I know what that one is. Uh, that's a team. Woo! Yeah, Jeritol gang. Yeah. But uh, why do you think they have little leagues? Why don't, why don't you know... Well, you know what? He's seven. He can really hit the ball. Let's go ahead and sign him up for the pros. Not ready. You can't do it. That's not going to work because you have to develop your skills. You have to, you've got all the, you're getting all the basics, but if you want to play in the big leagues, you've got to come up to the city, get some kind of training and, and hone those skills. You have to learn smaller lessons in your faith. God knows what you can handle and what you cannot. And then it says in the second half of verse 4, to escape corruption. Folks, God's divine nature gives us the ability to break away from our sinful nature. Yes, you have a force within you that your default setting is to do evil. Your default setting is to love yourself more than God. Your default setting is is to love yourself more than God's people. But by God's grace, by His Word, and by faith, you can work against that default setting. I threw another verse in the um, outline for you to look at, James 1, 13 through 15. It says, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, don't put that... That Twinkie right in front of me, you know I've told you I'm going to be on a diet. But Oh, just yeah, I've gone into this convenience store, and it's like, the Lord, you led me right to the little Debbie aisle. Lord, please help me. No! You, you went to the wrong place, you've got the wrong desires, and all of a sudden, before you know it, you ate five Twinkies, and then you say, oh, God, forgive me, God, you have tempted He didn't tempt you. It's your own desires. It pulls you away. It says in verse 14, temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. If you need an example of that, look at Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It says these desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Nobody wakes up and says, I want to do some heinous crime. It it's things that lead up to that. So, what do you allow to grow in your spiritual life? Do you allow the right things to grow? Or do you allow the wrong things to grow, which hinder you? Third thing we see in verses 5 through 9, that we need to strive to thrive. Strive to thrive. Here's Peter. He's saying, I love, in view of all of this. In other words, everything that I say for the first four verses. In view of all of this. Make every, here's that word again, effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with patience, endurance and patient endurance with godliness. Do you see how one is a building block for the other, the way that's worded? One is building to the other. 
Then it says in verse 7, In godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. So you could, it could stand to say that if you don't have moral excellence, you'll never make it all the way up to love for your brother and everyone else. Then check out verse 8. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know why I'm all about athletic analogies today, but look, if you don't know the plays in the playbook, the coach is not going to put you in. If you are not growing your faith, God is not going to use you to do faith-related things. It's wrong for us to expect him to. It doesn't mean that God won't, in his grace and mercy, give you some uh, great opportunities. But more often than not, those opportunities are to show you that you need to grow in your faith. Verse 9, but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. Folks, faith is more than a belief. It is an action. It is an action. Lecture halls and coffee shops are filled with people today who enjoy discussing their doctrines and their faith. And some churches actually enjoy fighting about and splitting over the who's right and who's wrong over issues of doctrine and faith. But a faith that is never demonstrated through action is no faith at all. A faith that is not demonstrated through action is no faith in all. You can tell me all day long how much of a Christian you are, but it's do, do your actions support that? If, if you talk about God and you, you argue about God's word and doctrine and you, you consider yourself to be very, very intellectually superior in that, but you do not take time to give somebody a drink of water. Do you not take time to ask somebody if you can pray with them? You do not take time to say, God, I don't know what you want to do, but what is it? What do you want me to do today? If you're not doing those things, if you're not showing those things through actions, all you're showing is intellectual assent. You're saying, I know. I, I, I know these things. Intellectual assent is seeing that pew and knowing that that pew is there. Many of you exercise faith, all of us, Exercise faith this morning. And one person had it tested this morning, but <laughs> you, you, you accepted, you, you tested faith when you said, look, this is a pew. This is my pew. I sat in every Sunday. Here's my little indentions right here. I'm going to get down in there. Oh, yeah, now, Lord, speak to feed me, God. And you're here. But you saw that was a pew. You sat down. But you showed faith when you sat down. How many of y'all went, oh, hold on a minute. Look under it. Make sure the bolts are, are bolted down. No, because you've been sitting in that pew for 50 years. If it ain't break now, it's not going to break ever. But folks, I'm telling you, you, faith is more than just seeing something and knowing that it's a... Faith is more than just saying, hey, that's a pew. Faith is more just saying, hey, this is scripture. Hey, this is the doctrine. Hey, this is what we're supposed to do. True faith is acting on it. Knowing doctrine and the Bible is not as important as acting it out. I'm not saying it's not important. Yes, you need to know doctrine. Yes, you need to know the Bible. But the important thing is, is putting it into action. 
James 1.22 says, but don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. It goes on to say, it's kind of like looking in the mirror and you see something that's wrong, but you go out anyway thinking everything's going to be okay. We're called to be doers of His Word. So what does the Bible say a growing, productive Christian should look like? You just read it in these verses. This is not some slick list that I can come up with. It's be of good character, spiritual understanding, alert, passionate, patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, generous love, and discipling others, each one building on the other. Folks, if you are a believer with a growing faith, these things will be present in your life. If you are not growing, they will not. So don't waste the time you have in this life not growing your faith. Folks, it starts with you. What would your life look like if you had more of these qualities in your life? Go back and read them. Starting with verse 4 and 5. In view of all this, and it shows these things, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patient endurance, brotherly affection for everyone, even those people that are your enemies, even those people that don't vote on the same political ballot you vote on. What would it look like if all of a sudden you had more of these qualities in your life? I would venture to say that your life would have more quality. I would venture to say that God would use you more, and I would venture to say that your faith would grow. What would this world look like if you had more of these qualities in your life? Think about it. Don't just sit around in a restaurant and on social media and everywhere else telling people what they ought to do. What would it look like if you did this in your life? What would it look like to your family if you as a family started seeing these qualities in and among one another? Mom and Dad, what do you think would happen if your children saw you put your faith at the forefront of your priority list for the day? Children, what do you think would happen if you made faith a priority in your life? What it would do for your parents and your peers? You say, well, preacher, I'm just a kid. Yeah, you are. You're a kid. But you're also a kid that can encourage your family, your siblings, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, second cousins, third cousins, fourth cousins, on down the road. I remember when I was going to youth group as a teenager, my parents were great people, but they never went to church a whole lot. But because of what God was doing in my life, they became more committed. Have you ever thought about that, kids, that maybe someday your, your commitment to the Lord will be what's ministering to your parents, grandparents, neighbors? team members, co-workers. Last two verses, verses 10 through 11. A growing faith is an authentic faith. A growing faith is an authentic faith. This is really random, but I, I, I remember... Look, the squirrels kind of run back and forth in my head all the time. But I was, remi- I was reminded, I don't even know why I was reminded of this, but we were driving to church today. I didn't even tell Donna this. But I was remembering an old game that we used to do with the youth group when I was a youth pastor. And it was somebody talking on the radio about how their mom liked to play tricks on them. By She made candy apples and she 
made one an onion and made it just look like a candy apple. And it was so funny when the, when the brother ate it. I made me remember when we did a, an Oreo eating contest and we had the youth get up there and do that. And it was all, the message was on deception and being authentic. And, and so we had these big old box of Oreos or plate of Oreos. But what they didn't know is on some of them, I scraped out the icing and put toothpaste in them. They got a hold of that woman too. I didn't know that that's bad for you. (laughs) You're not supposed to do that. So anyway, the kid lived, and we're all right. Uh, But the thing is, is that they they bit into that Oreo thinking they were going to get that creamy, rich, filling goodness, and it was minty, fresh something. Ugh. It was not authentic. It was not as described. So when we are sitting here and we're wearing our Christian t-shirts, we're wearing our Christian bumper stickers, we're posting our Christian memes on social media, and we're doing all these things about how great and spiritual we are, but we are not growing our faith. We are not being authentic. It says, verse 10, So dear brothers and sisters, or I would say dear friends and church family, Work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. I guess that means there will be people in the church that say they're called and chosen, but they're not. Do these things and you will never fall away. Do these things and you will never fall away. You ever thought that maybe some people never grew in their faith and fell away from their faith? is because they never had a genuine relationship with Him at all. They never pursued it. They never put in the effort, then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What we see from these two verses, Christians, God has called you out from everybody else to grow in your relationship with Him, to grow in your knowledge of Him. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, He has called you, He has saved you, and He has equipped you to grow. He has done his part. Now it's time for you to do yours. Don't fall away. Don't wait till you get older. Grow your faith today because you will need it for tomorrow. That's the trap that many people that are younger, whether they be teenagers or 20-somethings, 30-somethings, say, oh, I hope to have the faith of my grandmother one day, and I'll pursue that later. But right now i got other things i got to do. You know what Peter knew? You know what the Bible tells us? You know what I know because the Lord has showed me in Scripture and can show you too? The time is drawing nigh. You can't look with the blind eye and not say that what's going over on in the Middle East is not Bible prophecy unfolding itself. Ah, preacher, they've been fighting over there for years. Yeah, they have. But you never know when. The next one, I believe fully that there are people in here, in this building today, that their generation will usher in the coming of Christ. It is just a matter of time before the trumpet sounds and the sky splits and Jesus Christ comes riding on the white horse, not as a suffering servant, but as a king calling his people home. Those who don't grow in their faith often backslide 
to the very sin that God chose them from. If you are struggling with the sin that God delivered you from, it's not because God's power is not strong enough to do it. It's because you hadn't put in the effort to grow on your relationship with the Lord rather than pursuing the old things and playing the victim card. The Bible says in Colossians 3.2 to think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. That term think means to flip the switch in your brain and when the devil wants you to think about the bad things, you switch it and think about good things. So let me ask you something as we end our time today. Do you want to be a Christian that walks in a relationship of growth with the Lord or one of misery? Growth or misery, that's your choice today, folks. Are you growing in your faith or are you just being committed enough because you always feel like there is more you should be doing so you're living on a constant guilt trip because you refuse to put forth the effort to grow your faith? If you are living a guilt trip, I'm not strong enough, I can't do this, God's disappointed with me, that is the devil talking to you. Because God says, dude, do that. I've given you everything that you need to grow in your faith. Pull up your pants, buckle your belt, and let's get to it. Let's do this. Put in the work to grow your faith. Use the tools God has given you. And you are not left to work on your faith alone. You've got Jesus to help you. You've got the Holy Spirit to help you. And if we do what God has called us to do, you've got this church to help you do it. Nobody calls you to be in here today and be perfect. People call you in here today to love God and love others. That's even the pews in front of you and behind you. So grow in your faith to know your faith. The time to start is today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your word. As as we have gone through this, Lord, we are going to see things unfold in the next part of the chapter next week that give proof positive reasoning why you led Peter to write this book. This is not just a sermon to convict people and tell people to get stronger in the Lord. There is a battle that's coming. And you want your church to be ready. So God, if there's people in here that want to grow their faith, it's not going to start with the religious commitment and say, okay, I'm going to read my Bible three days this week. Maybe just read your Bible one day this week. Start with two. Start with three. Just say, God, move in my life. Help me find these tools you have given me to grow in my faith. And my friend, if you do that, watch God work in your life. Maybe there's somebody here today that they're stalled in their faith because they've got sin in their lives that they can't get rid of. That's why you shed your blood, Jesus. They could be forgiven today. They can pray for that forgiveness. They can come forward to this altar and pray. I'll be glad to pray with somebody. Maybe someone wants to become a Christian today. They tried it on their own. They tried life and they can't do it. They've been to the end of themselves and they realize there was not enough power to get them to the next step in life. May they come forward today, Lord. If they can't come forward today in a church like this where people love them, it's going to be a lot harder when they get outside of these walls. 
Maybe someone wants to join the church, be baptized. Whatever it may be, Lord, this time of invitation is for you to work on the hearts of those here today and those watching by way of Facebook, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?